We are going to continue in our message series that we started a couple weeks ago called Every Day. And uh, before I before we get started, I was I was thinking about um, just how uh, how nice it is to begin to see people kind of gather as things calm down a little bit with COVID. We're gathering. Some of you have really uh, been quarantined. Some of our friends online. It's you know because of your your health situation or age or and so on. You've you've made a, a point of kind of staying in and, and experience probably some extended seasons of of quiet and solitude. And it reminded me a little bit about of a guy. Uh, you know, brother John Michael was his name and he decided that he really wanted to get serious about, about seeking God. And so he went to join a monastery. And, uh, when he got to the monastery, the, the abbot said, you know, this is a silent monastery. You, you, you can't, there's no talking here. And he said, oh, okay, I understand. But once a year, you can, you can have two words. Once a year, you can say two words. Uh, okay. Are you ready? Yep. So he enters the monastery and first year goes by and, and uh, gets to the anniversary of his time there, and he goes to the to the abbot. The abbot says, "You know, you you get your two words today. What would you like to say, uh, brother?" And he says, "Hard bed." <laughs> all right, all right. We'll see if we can get you a better mattress. And another year goes by, and uh, he says, "Well, you you've been here, you know, two years, and and uh, it's the anniversary of your time here. You get to uh, to have your two words." He said. Bad food. All right. Well, well, we'll work on that. We'll let the kitchen know your concerns. And third year arrives, third anniversary. He says, well, you know, here you are. You, you've, uh, you've been here three years in silence and, and you get your two words today. What would you like to say? I quit. And the abbot says, you know, that's probably for the best. You've been, you've done nothing but complain since you got here. All right. Are you ready to get into the word? You're allowed to talk. It's all right. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. And um, this is, uh, as we look at, as the, we've been looking in this series of the, the every days of the New Testament church. And today we're looking at every day studying the scripture, being in the word of God, the Bible, every day. See, throughout, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 10, so I encourage you to start finding that. If you're new to the Bible, don't worry about it. Uh, you'll find your way around. Uh, if you start with the digital Bible, it's easy to search and find your spot. Remember, the Bible is not a book. It's a library. There's 66 books in the library, and we're in one called Acts, or Acts of the Apostles. Throughout Scripture, we see you know, how different groups of people responded to God at, as God was at work among them. So in the Old Testament, you know, we meet the Israelites who, um, you know, went through all these highs and lows, but they're God's chosen people. We also see all the pagan nations around them that, that, uh, you know, were mostly, you know, worshiping idols and rejecting God. Then if you move into the New Testament, you know, throughout, uh, throughout the New Testament, you see as the gospel moves from place to place and city to city, uh, more so maybe than from nation to nation. And in most places in that, particularly in the New Testament, in most locations, there's some kind of issue or a, a flaw in the people or there's, there's some sort of challenge that has to be overcome for the cause of the gospel as they, whether, whether or not they receive it or they reject it, there's something that, that they have to deal with. And it's, and yet there's one group, there's one group that stands out as sort of an ideal of how to, how to, uh, respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And this group of people uh, are in a small 
a northern Greek city called Berea. Berea is the name of the city. And so we're going to read about these people in Acts chapter 17, picking up at verse 10. The Apostle Paul and his friends are on a missionary journey going from place to place. And I'll explain that a little bit more in, in a moment. But most recently, having been in Thessalonica, they now move on to, to this next place. Picking up verse, verse 10, it says this, That very night the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. That's what they did every time. Every place they went to always started in the Jewish synagogue. you got to remember that... that uh, Folks from, from Israel, the Jews, had settled in many different places and established a synagogue. When you had ten men together, you could establish a synagogue, a place of, uh, of instruction and learning and kind of reverence uh, for their scriptures and gathering together. And, at, and uh, verse 11, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. And those escorting Paul went with them all the way to Athens, And then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. So they had uh, previously been in that city of Thessalonica for a few weeks and done some ministry there. Um, That's all this is taking place in northeastern Greece or might be what today would be Macedonia, that kind of northern region there. And... uh, and they, in Thessalonica, like I say, they'd only been there three weeks before they were chased out of the city by some angry Jews who didn't like what they were teaching. And prior to Thessalonica, they'd been in a place called Philippi. And in Philippi, they had been severely flogged. They'd been beaten. They'd spent a night in, in jail uh, because they had preached the gospel and because they had actually delivered uh, a, a, gal, a girl that was being trafficked and was demon-possessed, and they delivered her from demonic oppression, and for that, they were they were put in jail for the night. So, so far, this journey had been pretty rough for them. It started out really tough. And uh, here they are, you know, the, 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 you know the, the injuries from Philippi, from being beat in the jail in Philippi, being whipped there, those things are just beginning to heal over as they're in Thessalonica, and suddenly they got to run off again just a few weeks later. So, Physically under duress, right? Emotionally, all these things are just all this pressure on them, living on the go, uh, away from home. It's a difficult time for them. And then they end up in this next smaller town, Berea. And we, again, we don't know for how long. It could have been weeks, possibly, you know, maybe a month or two, but we think it's not a long time. And yet instead of opposition, finally, for the first time, instead of opposition, they were warmly received by the Jews in that synagogue. Now, we know virtually nothing about the city of Berea or its inhabitants, uh, but we do know from what we're given here that they were, as the New Living Translation puts it, they were open-minded. They were eagerly receiving, eager listeners. Uh, they had a commitment to studying Scripture. That's, that's what we know about the Bereans. Uh, New Living says they were uh, open-minded. A more literal translation would, would be to say they were noble-minded or they were of noble character. 
good people. They're really referenced highly in this passage, certainly compared to the Thessalonians who were, you know, quite the rascals. Now, I, I get why the Thessalonians were angry as Paul had, and his friends had been preaching there. Their comfort, right, and their power being challenged by the gospel. They had a way of doing things. They liked it. They were control. And these guys come in and they're kind of upsetting the apple cart with this gospel message. And here's the thing you need to understand. People with misplaced securities often react violently. When someone comes in and, and does things differently, does not play by kind of the accepted way of doing things, you get a violent reaction, certainly a reaction and often violently. And, um, you know, you think about it, it's sort of like a like a six-year-old playing Monopoly. I don't know if you've ever played Monopoly with a six-year-old. And uh, when the things aren't going their way, at some point that's going to happen. You know, game pieces are going to fly and money. And sometimes it's 60-year-olds that do that. Um, Monopoly is a terrible game to play as a family. I'll just tell you that right now. In fact, my wife and I tried that early in our relationship together once. Never did again. That's the secret to being married for 28 years. Don't play Monopoly. That's all you need to know. The Bereans uh, did not perceive Paul's teaching as a threat. Let me say that again. The Bereans, however, did not perceive Paul's teaching as a threat. Why not? I think it's because their confidence was already well-placed in God's word, not in their kind of own preferences. Right? They weren't rattled because they understood that truth is the greatest place of safety. Even when that truth is dangerous, even when that truth is going to get you in trouble, it's the safest place. I want to take you back to verse 11 because this is the key and we're just going to kind of camp on this one verse for this this morning. Verse 11 says, the people of Berea were more open-minded or noble-minded than those in Thessalonica and they listened eagerly to Paul's message and they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. So I want to pick up on their example uh, for some guidance on this everyday habit of studying the scripture. The best counsel I can give you around this is to establish a daily Bible habit, a daily Bible habit. I'd say it this way. Bread is best fresh. If you're taking notes, you might want to just write that one down. Bread is best fresh. Uh, my mom was a stay at home mom all my all my life growing up. She left the workforce when uh, when my oldest sibling was born, and uh, for the rest of the time she did the heavy lifting domestically, raising four kids, uh, doing a lot to to run help to run the the family farm. My dad was a school teacher and, and had we had a small farm, and and my favorite days after school days, my favorite days to come home were those baking days, when you walk in and mom was just pulling some white rolls, you know, we called them buns, um, dinner rolls out of the oven. And uh, you pull one of those open and it's still warm and the butter just melts right into it. And you throw some apricot jam on there. And it's like, oh, it's so good, right? I mean, there's sometimes it was cinnamon rolls. Sometimes it was oatmeal cake. I mean, just, it was just amazing. Just that mm, fresh bread, nothing like it. And And I will say that you know, while those rolls were good in the in the days to come, and she'd throw them in the freezer, and we'd have them on Sunday lunches and so on, fresh, nothing like it. That's the best way to have them, right? Well, the Word of God is your daily bread. Fresh, daily 
bread. Jesus himself is the bread of life. And bread is best fresh and daily. A little little bit each day, right? He's better than a, than a big chunk once in a while. And, uh, you know, I would say this, that, you know, get in a plan when you're, when you're in the Bible, when you're in a read, get in a reading plan. Don't just skip around. Even if it's just something short, even just a little something to get you started, something that you can kind of track with it. Um, you, you need to get in, when you're reading the Bible, you need to get in the flow of a book so that it makes sense. If you read chapter one and then chapter five and then, you know, chapter 17 and, you don't understand what's happened. There's all this, particularly in the Old Testament books, you got this kind of history that's being developed and you're like, wow, I just, I, I just read they were in this place and now, and who's this guy? And yeah, you just get on a plan and read methodically, uh, through. I just really encourage you to do that. Bake it up fresh every day. We use something here. I recommend it's called the R&R Journal and the R&R Journal is, is set up with a, a daily, couple options for a daily reading plan. So that it just keeps you on track. You're not guessing or you're not like just sticking in your favorite passages, but it's taking you methodically through the, through the whole Bible. And, uh, you read a little bit and respond to that. Uh, take some notes on what God's impressing upon you. Um, I, you know, it's just, it's just a great habit to get into every day. Um, so. Eat, have your bread fresh, daily bread fresh. Uh, another way you can be like these noble Bereans is, is this, to choose truth over tradition. Choose truth over tradition. I, and I know this is a touchy subject because traditions almost always start as something good and meaningful and, and can continue to be. And you have traditions in your family. You have traditions about how you're going to celebrate the holidays and, and you have traditions about, you, you know, Friday night, pizza night, and, and whatever it is. And, and those are great. Those are fine. In our faith, however, sometimes, not always, but sometimes a tradition can become more important than the truth that, that's behind it or the, the motivation that even led to that tradition. Um, you know, for example, I've known people that will attend a church service in a language they don't speak, let's say Greek, for example, Simply because that's the family tradition, even though they really don't understand what's going on, it really limits their ability to connect and meaningfully engage in, in what's happening in that experience. So uh, you want to choose truth over tradition. And the Bereans were more committed to the truth of Scripture than they were to their traditions around it. And that's why they could listen to Paul and Silas and then test what they heard and not just freak out that this was something kind of new. Now, there are cautions around what I, this point in that, that's, you know, just because you've always done something, you've always practiced something does not make it true or right. And just because you've always practiced something or done something doesn't make it false. This is not a, this is not a binary, you know, either or, right? And just because there's a new idea or a new understanding, a new way of looking at it doesn't make it true or false. You need to, to dig down and grapple with What's true and apply that. Um, I'll give you a little example. A bunch of years ago in a church, we, uh, you know, we had filled up our Sunday morning services were, were full and we didn't have, we didn't have any more space. And so the only time we could, we could do something different was on, uh, was on Saturday night. So we did a Saturday night church service. And I tell you, some folks really struggled with that. Yeah, but you, but church is on Sunday. 
I know, we normally gather on Sunday, and we're going to do a service on Saturday. Yeah, but, but isn't Sunday the day for church? Can be. Can be. The Apostle Paul says, don't get hung up about certain days and festivals and how you do things. Don't do that. And so, you know, the truth, the, the principle was gather together. We talked about that last week. Don't forsake the assembling. Don't forsake the gathering together. But when you do that, that, that doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. So traditions can, can sometimes get in the way. Um, the Jewish synagogue goers in the previous city in Thessalonica, I think they couldn't even hear what Paul was saying and Silas and the others because it clashed with their traditions and what they accepted and, the, and they found a lot of power and control in that. And so because of that, they actually missed out on the good news of the Messiah, Jesus. And I think the real win then for the Bereans was to, to neither automatically accept nor reject this new teaching, but to check it out for themselves. That's the key here. To check it out for themselves in Scripture. And I would say that, say it this way. Study Scripture with the trust but verify method. Some of you are old enough to remember President Ronald Reagan. It's all good, right? We're all right. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember President Ronald Reagan, who, uh, when, you know, trying to bridge the gap and cool off or warm up, I guess, I don't know, and bring an end to the Cold War, uh, was was told that, hey, the Russians love to speak in parables. It would be good for you to learn some Russian parables and use those in your diplomacy, which he did. And one was, trust but verify. Uh, Victor, do you know that in Russian? How do you say that in Russian? Yeah, say it one more time. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> trust but verify. Yeah, I re- if my grandparents had not immigrated a uh, hundred years ago, I would have been able to say that just fine. So, uh, but this is a trust but verify. So all of us come with our biases, our preconceptions, right? And there are some obvious convictions as a believer that are, you know, they're non-negotiable. They don't deserve entertaining. You know, a new way of looking at that. For example, you know, that God is the creator of all things. That's non-negotiable. That doesn't change. We're not entertaining kind of a new way of, uh, of, of seeing how things were created. You know, this non-negotiable that Jesus is Lord overall or that, that our sins are atoned for, paid for by Jesus' death on the cross, that, that your new life is given because Jesus was raised from the dead. All those things that are, are true and non-negotiable. So those, those are obvious convictions, but but understanding some other things like the nuances of, of how grace works in our lives or, or what it means to live a new life in Christ or, or how the gospel is foreshadowed and foretold in, in the Old Testament or how the end times are unfolding right in front of us, right before our eyes. These are, these are good areas where we can gain some deeper insight through good teaching plus studying for ourselves in a daily Bible habit. Uh, someone's tipped me off to to somebody I'm reading, been reading a couple of his books and started listening to his podcast, and they're awesome. But I tell you, I, you know, I've listened to what he said, and then I go back and say, is that is that really accurate? Is that really true? You need to trust but verify. Um, so to do that, you actually have to start by actually listening to things, actually listening to 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 good teaching and 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 so on. Don't start in skepticism and doubt. Start in trusting the speaker and then verify what they say. 
Um, sometimes we've got some, you know, popular Bible teachers and pastors that are, get accused of, of, uh, of false teaching. A couple that I'm thinking of in particular. And so lately I've actually tuned in and I've listened to their podcasts and listened to what they say. Cause I want to know for myself. I don't want to just accept what someone else says. Oh yeah, they're, they're a heretic. They're crazy. Well, I want to know. I'm not going to write them off because of what someone else said. I want to listen for myself. I want to trust and verify. And then like the Bereans, do your own homework in the scriptures. Uh, a bunch of years ago, I remember I had a guy who, who came to criticize me about something I'd said, something I taught. And uh, I just asked him, you know, how often are you reading the Bible yourself? Like how often? Well, I, I really, I really don't really read the Bible. Well, when, when did you, you know, when did you last read the Bible? Well, I really, you know, I read it, you know, I haven't really read it since I was in, in high school. Okay. Now, this guy was a senior, not a, not a high school senior, a senior citizen. And I just thought. Listen, you're going on the word of what other people have said to bring your criticism rather than saying, you know, I'm going to measure it out. I'm going to weigh it out for myself. I want to have a Berean trust and verify attitude toward what I'm, what I'm being taught. Do your own homework on the issue. Third thing I would say is expose yourself to good teaching. Expose yourself to good teaching. The Bereans actually came to church. The Bereans showed up. They listened. They were at the synagogue. They wanted to hear it. Listen, today there is so much amazing, good teaching available. There's never been a time like this time when you have access to books, podcasts, uh, message sermons online, YouTube things. And I know there's tons of junk out there and there's tons of garbage. I get that. But you've got to trust and verify for yourself. But there's never been a time when you have access to resources like you do now. It is really enriching to listen to a solid Bible teacher because it empowers your own ability to grapple with the word. So expose yourself to good teaching. And, 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 and then there's a warning too. I would say don't hide behind established doctrine. Don't, don't hide behind. Well, we've just always done it that way. Or that's just, just what we've always taught. Don't hide behind that. I, I think there are folks who have, who have missed out on the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They've missed out actually encountering Jesus. Because they're, well, our church teaches this. Yeah, but let's see what the Word says. Let's take you in there. I want you to experience... The, the purpose of reading the Bible isn't to get be smarter, to be an academic, to be able to argue down somebody. The purpose of reading the Bible, the Word of God, is to encounter Jesus, the living Word. That's the point. The point is to encounter Jesus as you are in the Word. That's what Paul was, teaching, Paul was doing. Paul was introducing Jesus... To these people, and they were saying, "Well, let me let, hang on. We're going to check that out in the scriptures. Remember, for them, the scriptures were the Old Testament, and they were able to verify. You want to meet Jesus in the Word. Don't don't get locked up or hide behind, uh, you know, established doctrine. So expose yourself to good teaching. Listen honestly, humbly, verify the truth for yourself. Um, I'm going to just finish with a couple practical uh, suggestions." First of all, as grateful as I am for digital Bibles, uh, lots of us are using a digital Bible this morning. I, I use digital tools all the time. If I'm on vacation, I'm trying to pack light, travel light. That's when I, you know, I read off my tablet or my phone. No issue with that. I have no problem with that. But I would say in terms of a daily Bible habit, it's a really good thing to have a paper Bible. And I'll tell you why. It, there's this, you're, there's the tactile interaction with it. There's something that happens between your hands and your brain as you interact with it. There's footnotes and references that are cross-references that are much easier to, to
to use, I think, and, and quicker to use and to see when you are in, um, in a paper Bible. And uh, there are often extra tools and resources in a, in a printed Bible that you don't get with a digital Bible, such as maps in the back. Um, I just think, uh, I think using your maps is an important part of your Bible reading. When you read a place like Berea, why not say, oh, I wonder where that actually is. Let me see. Okay, I'm going to go to the back here. Okay, uh, Ministry of Jesus. Oh, Paul's Missionary Journeys. Okay, here. Oh, wow. That's okay. It gives you some reference, some, some point of understanding as you do that. So I, I would, I would strongly kind of encourage that and, uh, underline, make notes in the margins. Um, you know, don't, don't hesitate to make good physical use of your Bible. And then have an established time and place for your Bible reading. Uh, for me, it, it has to be the morning. If I, if I don't start my day that way, it just doesn't happen. Um, a routine in this stuff is a blessing, uh, especially if you can limit distractions. My confession is that when my f- smartphone accompanies me to my my Bible reading chair, I'm, I get distracted way, way, way too easily. Uh, that's just kind of how my brain works. So I do better when it doesn't accompany me there. And uh, so figure out a way that you can do that, uh, that you're not going to be distracted. Uh, have a cup of coffee or something with you. And then, as you've heard me say so many times, I recommend having a notebook with you. Journal what you're, what you're reading. So the way I encourage you to do that, if you're using our R&R journal, for example, you read the passage for the day. Maybe there's a verse or so or two that, that kind of jump off the page at you. Write that verse down in full. Then you're going to respond. What's the Lord saying to me in this verse? And just write out your response. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just how you see God teaching you something. It's personal. It's not, you know, it's not a Bible study preparation. It's just personal. And then, uh, you just kind of maybe write a little prayer in the end. And it just helps you slow down a little bit in your reading. The Bereans, uh, are a model. And by the way, if you want an R&R journal, come see me and I'll, I'll make some available, uh, to you. The Bereans are really a model for us of how to hear from scripture and respond to it. But maybe in all of this, really you're asking the question, why? Maybe you're new to the Bible. You maybe you've never read the Bible. You've never cracked it open. It's intimidating to you. Maybe you've tried reading it. You made the mistake of starting in Deuteronomy as, as Steve was saying, you're like, man, I cannot get it. Maybe you landed in numbers and like, I can't read, I can't even pronounce any of that stuff. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Maybe someone, uh, you know, kind of used the Bible in a way that was almost kind of abusive in your life. Listen, I understand there's lots of reasons or hurdles that you may be facing around around the Bible reading. But um, I want you to say, look, it's God's word to you. God loves you and he's speaking to you through through scripture. If you don't have a good Bible, talk to me. I'll help you find something that will work well for you. Um, the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us. It is His Word, His written Word. Jesus is the living Word. The Holy Spirit makes the Word come alive for us. God is is speaking, and, and He continues to make the Word alive and relevant. We're often tempted to say, well, I, I just don't hear God speak. I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't hear what He... Listen, I just want to tell you. You start here. Someone says, I don't, I don't hear God speak, but you've never turned to where he's already spoken, where he's already talking to you. So don't, don't expect to hear 
where you're not listening to the places where he's already speaking. So God's word, the Bible is God's word and he speaks. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come and and lead us in a closing song. I'll give you some more direction about kids in a moment. But I would just challenge you this. How about it? How about this? How about being a Berean in your attitude? Have a Berean attitude toward the Bible. Right? Look at, look at it as, as, you know, bread is best fresh and daily. And, and you want to choose your truth over tradition. That means you got to dig in and, and unpack it and understand it. And then use Ronald Reagan's old Russian proverb, trust but verify. Use that attitude as you come to the scripture, as you hear someone teach and say, okay, let me, let me dig in and find it for myself. Um, if you would like to be in a kind of a larger group, a, a group setting, a, a Bible study, Janice, can you just raise your hand? This is Janice is our, our pastor of youth ministry and, and adult discipleship. And Janice can help plug you into a group. Maybe this is all new for you and you think, man, I'm scared to start on my own. Okay, we'll help you get, we'll get you in a group. We'll help you start that way. Um, we'd love to help you find a, a Bible version that you can read. Maybe you're saying, I'm not even sure I believe the Bible. Isn't it just made up? Isn't it just a bunch of, you know, stories that, that were put together? You know, the Bible is 66 books, 40 different authors assembled over 1,500 years, and it all hangs together. That all makes sense from beginning to end. It all tells the same redemptive story. The redemptive story that God created you and He loves you. The story that we have all fallen away from God because of our sin, the things that we do that separate from him, us from Him are our own selfishness, our own way of doing things. And the redemptive story that God made a way for us to know Him, to have our sins forgiven and cleansed and washed away so that we can have an eternal relationship with God. Your choice whether or not you do that. The Bible is history. It's narrative. It's poetry. It's teaching. It's prophecy. It's all of those things. It's rich. It's deep and powerful. You'll never get to the end of it. Some of you say, well, when I read it, I feel like I understand 5% of it. Okay. Then ponder on that 5%. And as you do that, God's going to grow and expand your understanding. When you're entrusted with a little bit, if you can be trusted with a little, you'll be given more. That's the biblical principle. It speaks to you in your family life. speaks to you in your marriage life. speaks to you in your work life. speaks to you in your academic life. speaks to you in your financial life. speaks to you in your sexual life. It speaks in every area of your life. Learn to love it. Learn to take some fresh bread every day. Watch what happens. It's not instantaneous. But over time, over develop, a long obedience in the same direction, you'll see amazing things that God's going to do for you in your life. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that too. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that you're the Son of God. You died for my sin, and I commit my life to follow you all the days of my life. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. Let me pray first. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you've made this available. I thought, thank you that you saw fit by the Holy Spirit to inspire this and, and bring it to us so we could know you more and encounter Jesus every day. Lord, forgive us for those times when we've been casual or reckless about it. Help us to have a, a more Berean attitude. 
to love it, to, to check it out for ourselves, to, to daily make a daily habit of seeing what you've written for us. We thank you.